I'm Michelle. My name is Brian. We're the Bushways. We've been coming to Mosaic over 12 years. I found Mosaic, a friend invited me, and the first time I heard Erwin speak, he was just articulating things I'd been thinking about and just put language to thoughts and feelings and understandings. I was like, man, this guy has something special going on. I found Mosaic when I was a sophomore at Pepperdine. Yeah, I remember the first day we met, I was serving on the welcome team and I was just out front and as everyone was coming to church, I was just shaking people's hands, welcoming them in and here comes Michelle and she was bringing a car full of other college women and I was like, wow, this is a woman who is like a leader. She's bringing other people to this great place. I gotta get to know her more. I was pretty quickly attracted to Brian's energy. I don't know, I always felt safe around Brian. Serving at Mosaic has changed us simply because we never would have met. And it was the basis of our relationship. Our relationship was founded because we were serving other people, which then brought us together. So it's been a value ever since day one in our relationship. Just being a part of Mosaic all this time has really pushed us to be really intentional. It's always been not just about us and like our thing, but we've always wanted our relationship to be about like how we can serve other people and just be really intentional. It's important for us to give, to keep that muscle strong of gratitude. Being grateful is a great way of approaching life and having perspective on things. And giving is important because it's a very practical way to exercise that muscle of gratitude. Giving gives you like a stake in it and it gives you ownership. Without that, you're you're just on the bench. I feel like when you're giving, like you're in, you're playing in the game, you're you're taking the risks. It just it's more exciting. We are here to stay because we want to continue to be an influence in this city to spread love and hope. What a great day to worship together. Thank you guys for leading us in this beautiful time of worship. If you're a guest, we're so glad you're here. It's always crazy to find out how people get here. I mean, sometimes people travel from all over the world and, and they actually choose to come here during their vacation, which is kind of crazy. And okay, that's awesome. And, and then other times people get dragged in by friends and because they, they just nag them into finally coming and we're glad you're here. And you're probably trapped somewhere in the middle of a row. And, uh, and it's, we're just really grateful that you've come. And it can be an, uh, an incredibly surprising moment because even when you're someplace that you're not sure why you're there, it can actually become the most significant moment of your life because something beautiful can happen. So we're going to pray for that. And we also know that um, we woke up once again with uh, a moment of tragedy in our nation uh, with the shooting in, in, uh, in El Paso and in Dayton. And I uh, woke up this morning, saw that 29 people have been killed and so many injured and it's becoming a recurring story in our culture but we can't ever become numb to it we can't we cannot accept this as our new status quo our new reality we have to um, believe that it can be different and we have to fight for it to be different and so we'll start by praying and yet we know that whenever we pray that postures us to action and so we need to ask what can we do to end the violence in this nation 
and to move us into a different future. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this extraordinary moment in which we live with all the, um, the tragedy and, and all the pain and God and all the um, confusion around us. We're actually grateful to be alive in this moment because people need help. People need hope because people need us to be here, present. And Father, we, we pray for the families and friends who have been impacted by these acts of violence. Pray, God, that you would meet them in their time of loss and bring healing and solace to them. Father, we, pr we pray for the countless number of people across um, our nation who are filled with anger and who have violence under the surface of their skin. And God, we want to pray for them because we do not believe they're beyond your reach. We want to pray that you would go to war against the violence within them and bring peace to them, God, that they would replace hate with love and, uh, and violence, God, with healing. And God, show us what we need to do in this moment in history so that people can know that you are not absent or silent. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just thank God for this morning one more time? Come on. You can have a seat. There, there are moments where you know that the moment is bigger than you. And this, this is one of those moments for me. Just a few days ago on August 1st was our technical deadline for our Here to Stay campaign, an opportunity to buy this property. And I was in conversations with the property management on Monday and talking to them about where we're at. And it's been an interesting week preparing for this moment. We've accomplished so much, by the way, and I just want to just take a moment and and thank you for all your generosity and sacrifice for your prayers and your giving. And, and I want to give you a quick update where we are in here to stay. Because we, we, we've raised in three months just over $5 million. $5,044,670. That's incredible. It's unbelievable how much money as a community we've given together. And, and, and by the way, it's not just us here. It, it, it's people in Seattle and Orange County and Venice Beach and South Pasadena and Mexico City and, and, and friends from all over the world. We, we just received a, a $50,000 gift from Canada. From Canada, that's amazing. And, and I think we received a $50,000 gift from Guatemala. I mean, the world is coming together saying we want to be a part of this with you. And what's to me more exciting and, and I want to celebrate is we've had over 5,418 people give together over the last three months. Come on, let's celebrate that. That's amazing. We can't even get that many people in this building. And, and that's how many people have given to this day. And that's extraordinary. And, and, and yet... We're at this interesting crossroads because we're still $5 million short. And maybe that's why you're here today. You just happen to be here thinking, what am I going to do with this extra $5 million? I don't know. 
You never know how God works in people's lives. But, but what, what, to me, what's so interesting is, is to be in this moment not having any idea how it's all going to play out. In fact, on Monday, I said to them, hey, we, we have raised $4 million because that's how much we had. And so we're at, we're at a $14 million cap because we have a $10 million loan, which you will barely be able to handle. And we raised $4 million, so $14 million is our cap. And we know you started at $24 million, and you came down to $20 million, but we're $6 million short. And, and so I thought we should meet halfway at $14 million. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and I said, oh, or we just need to realize we, did, we gave it our best effort and it's not going to come together. And so on Thursday, we just want to uh, let you know that, um, that we've, we've hit our ceiling for this moment. And it's interesting that the word is called a deadline. Because it lets you know the line where you're dead. And, and, <laughs> and in that moment, they said, well, you know, we don't have to like, just give up now. So they were telling me, we could extend the deadline, and we could give you a little more time. And I said, you, you can give us more time. I just don't know if we have any more money, but, but you can give us more time. But I, I think this is pretty much with all the time we have. And these are, I, I don't have any more friends. I, I, I've exhausted every relationship I have. I have people running away from me when I walk into rooms because they, they've already given two or three times. And, 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 and so I don't know how much more time will help us. We need more money, not more time. But... And they said, well, let's just, let's just wait a little bit. So we have a little bit more time, and I'm supposed to have a conversation tomorrow with the ownership, and we'll see how it all comes together. And, and, and this actually fits better into the biblical narrative. Because, see, a lot of times we misunderstand how Bible stories work out, how the people in the scriptures actually live their lives. We think that they all started bad. They had a, a, you know, a kind of a rocky middle, then they ended great. But that's actually not all the stories. See, I think the way that we've understood the way God works in our lives is that we always get the epic ending in this life. But it's actually not the way the stories actually work. And in fact, one of the people that's most known for faith never realized what he was living for by faith. His name was Abraham. And if anyone ever thought of someone as a person of faith, we think, oh, Abraham is a person of faith. But the problem in, in, in real life is that Abraham is actually known because the start of his story was so powerful, not the end of his story. The end of his story sort of fizzles out. I mean, really, how does Abraham's story end? Anybody know? You don't know. Because you don't want to know. Because you, you want to hope that it always ends with a crescendo. But what if God called you to live a life where the story of your faith wasn't about how your story ended, but, but how someone else's story began because of how yours ended. So I want to read just a few verses in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 10. It says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I, I've been processing all of this, saying, God, is the property going to be ours? Is the property going to be ours? Because God, I, you, you've, you've kind of like put me in a situation where I'm supposed to know. 
And, and you ever had a conversation with God, but you realize it was mostly monologue, there was almost no dialogue? Like, like, like so, sometimes I feel like my, my prayer life is written by the writer of the Gilmore Girls because it's just monologues, just endless monologues and some guy watching while girls talk. And it's all just monologues. And this morning I'm having a monologue with God and I feel like it was interrupted. He said, you keep asking me for a property and I promised you a city. Why do you keep asking me for so little? Okay, I'll redirect my thinking, God, but, but it doesn't really help me about the property. Because give me the city, but could you give me a little bit of information about the property? And, and, and Kim and I have even had these conversations. I, I've said to her, because in our private moments, I said, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to happen. And I could feel her anxiety. And at one point in the conversation, she's like, oh, why did you like, bring us into this if you didn't know? That's a great question, isn't it? You see, I don't know if this property is ours, but let me tell you what I do know. The future is ours. Yeah, I don't know if this building is ours, but the future is ours. And, and I think the problem sometimes is that we get fixated on the smaller thing, and so we lose sight of the bigger thing. So the future is ours. And, and it says that, that Abraham, by faith, when he was called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. But I, I like the next part. It says, even though he did not know where he was going. I don't know why, but I really resonate with that. He did not know where he was going. Abraham had no idea where he was going. And, and, and I think a lot of times we think that the closer you are to God, the more you know. See, I actually think the less your life is connected to God, the more you know. Because if you have your little life and you're in control of your little life and you're creating your little life, you know everything about your little life. But when you hear God and he calls you out to leave your little life, to call everything you've made sure and certain and secure and comfortable and predictable, God says, I want you to go and follow me, go somewhere you do not know. All of a sudden, it's bigger than you. So if I was taking you where I was going, I would know where we're going. But I'm not taking you where I'm going because I don't know where I'm going. So how can I possibly take you there? So, honey, I want you to see me in a new way. You need to see me like Abraham. Because Abraham didn't know where he was going, and I don't know where I'm going. I mean, she feels like, honey, honey, why, why are you taking us someplace you don't know? It's because I'm just living by faith. <laughs> see, some of you know way too much about your life. And that's why you're suffocating. Because it's so uninteresting. Some of you are being put to death by boredom because you're afraid of living by faith. See, the future is ours, but it's only going to be ours if we step up. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, and that's a stretch of the imagination. He obeyed and went. He obeyed and went. And that's a phrase we don't use a lot because we don't like the word obey. Because we really just want God to be our genie. We want God to be our genie in a bottle that we put in our backpack. And whenever we need God's help, we rub the bottle and say, okay, God, here's where you need to come through. And, and we want to eliminate the part of this relationship where God is God and we're not. And he calls us out and we have to choose to trust him and obey him and go. See, God gives the future to those who step up when they hear his voice and move with him. And when that happens, you know you don't know. 
You know you don't know where you're going, and it doesn't seem that it clarified as he lived his life. See, I, I think that we're okay with not knowing as long as we know we're going to know later. Right? Like, I'm okay with not knowing now as long as I'm going to know later. But what about if you're never supposed to know? What about if on the journey, you actually never know where you're going, you just get to know the God you're following better every step of the way? So eventually you have to decide whether you want to have control over your little life or step into a life so big that it's out of your control. So let me be straight up. When we started this, there was no secret plan. I didn't know. I didn't know this was a bad idea. <laughs> I had other pastors who were actually pretty like influential go, we can't believe you went public about buying a $20 million property, a $24 million property, without having a way to make it happen. I go, oh, there's another way of doing it? <laughs> like, yeah, you have to know you're going to make it happen, then you declare it as if you don't know. <laughs> See, here I am, so naive, I thought you're not supposed to know. So I want to be really, really clear. When we stepped into the said, we're going to try to buy this $24 million property, we did not have any money. Zero in the bank. In fact, zero is an exaggeration. We had less than zero. We were actually not even able to pay our rent here month to month. We couldn't afford the rent, so we thought, let's buy it. <laughs> and when we said we started with zero, we actually started with zero. And we said, we don't know if we're going to be able to do this. We actually didn't know if we could do this. Oh, and then we made sure we didn't have enough time. Three months. <laughs> Three months to raise $24 million. Yes, there was no plan B. I wasn't hiding. I, wasn't gonna, I, wasn't, I didn't have $24 million sitting somewhere going, it's going to look so epic. And <laughs> everyone thought, oh, can we do it? Can we do it? Can we do it? And the last minute, I'm going to just drop in and go, I, look what God just did. See, I want to tell you that this has been straight up transparent from the beginning. We never knew, and we still don't know. <laughs> and I've had the question, but if you don't pull it off, doesn't it make God look bad? I don't think we're worried about God. I think it, we're worried about us. Look, if it doesn't, maybe it'll make me look bad. But... Is that really a shock to anyone? <laughs> and I notice it says that Abraham was called to step up. And, and the story begins, and I think this is interesting. See, Abraham's faith is defined by how his story began, not how it ended. Because he just stepped up. He heard God call, and he obeyed anyone. Call him to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, which when I read this, and I read this historically, I'm going, he actually never really got there. Not, not in the getting there kind of way. And, and I, I wonder how many times in our lives we keep wanting God to do something incredible, something extraordinary in our lives, but, but we're so unwilling to step into the mysterious, into the unknown, into that arena that, that just terrifies us. See, when we began this journey, I knew there might 
realistically be a day where I would have to stand in front of you and say, with everything we did and all that we tried, we did not accomplish it. You have to be willing to stand in public failure if you're ever going to live a life of genuine faith. You cannot live your life trying to protect God's reputation. God is big enough to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And then it says, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And I go, wait a minute. This all sounds good, but it, it sounds almost like a contradiction. It says, by faith, and by the way, every one of these statements is by faith. And you know why? Because they're not by, like, reality. <laughs> and I go, all right, you just need to step into this for a moment. By faith. Because it didn't happen. By faith. He made his home in the promised land. Okay, so he made his home in the promised land. Oh, like a stranger in a foreign country. Which one is it? Did he make his home in the promised land, or did he live like a stranger in a foreign country? Because these are mutually exclusive. You're either at home or you're a guest. You either receive the promise or you don't. It's either yours or you're an outsider. You're either known or you're a stranger. Which one is it? He says, yes. <laughs> Look at this. He made his home, and then it says he lived in tents. If you live in a tent, you don't have a home. If you have a home, you do not need a tent. When we were growing up, my kids had friends who went camping. They would say, Dad, why don't we go camping? I said, Latinos don't camp. We came from camps. We're not going back. It's, a, it's not like a vacation experience for us. Sorry. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. That's a son and his grandson. So how is he living at the promise, but his son and his grandson are living in tents? Which one is it, God? And then it says, who were heirs? Heirs is a big word. I want to be an heir. Wouldn't it be awesome if you just woke up one day, you found out you had been adopted, and your real father died, and he left you a billion dollars, 24 million of which you were going to give to Mosaic. And, uh, <laughs> it's my story. I can put it together any way I want. And, uh, wouldn't it be amazing if you were an heir? But what's the point of being an heir of a promise that you never actually realize? You, 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 ever, you ever find yourself making a decision in the present that later you realize costs you your future? Or maybe on a more optimistic note, you ever make a decision in the present that just absolutely opened up your future? Or... or do you ever have a moment where you just kind of knew you're living off of someone else's generosity, but it was okay with you? Like if you're a guest, if you're, if you're um, what are you called? A tourist. If you're a tourist here in LA, do not get a parking ticket. It's the one thing you cannot get out of in LA. Run a red light, make an illegal U-turn, hit a pedestrian. You can get away with all that. <laughs> in LA, but you cannot get away 
with parking illegally because you're going to get a ticket and, and they're going to hunt you down. But have you ever had one of those days where everything just worked right? Because one, it's hard to get a parking ticket because you cannot get a parking space, right? And, and, and so we, we, we were over in Larchmont, and, and it was one of those perfect days because we drove, we are going to get some coffee, and there was a parking space. It, it only required a mildly illegal left turn, but, but that's just L.A. And, and we, we pulled in, and it was like, we have an open spot. God is with us today. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. And, and then it was, it was, it, it was not, that wasn't even, like, everything. The meter was flashing green. Okay, you know what I'm talking about if you're an Angelino. Like, it was flashing green. It was like, I love you. I love you. I am with you. Fear not. And uh, it's like, that's how you know God's there, flashing green meter. And I don't know why, but there's nothing more fulfilling than living off of someone else's money, right? And I was like, it's like, ah. Somebody overpaid. <laughs> they left early. I, sometimes you just stay because you want to use up all your meter time, right? You know? and, and, and we pull in and we're like, this is awesome. We're living in, in someone else's sacrifice. And, and Kim goes up to the meter to check the time because sometimes it can be an illusion, right? It can be green, but there's only like two minutes left. But she checked it. And she said to me, there's 21 minutes left. I think that's what you said to me, honey. 21 minutes left. And I said, oh, we could do this in 20. In 20 minutes, you can have a meaningful conversation and get caffeinated. And all at the same time. And, and she had quarters. Kim always carries quarters. She's like the quarter lady. And because she doesn't use the credit card in meters. She, she, she has to drop the quarters. She says she put a quarter in. I never saw it. And... And so she says she put a quarter in. Maybe that's what got us to 21 minutes. I don't know, from 15 to 21, whatever. But I saw she had a, another quarter in her hand. And I could see her contemplating. Do I drop one more quarter in? Or do I keep it? <laughs> and, and, I, and in my mind, I'm thinking, it's a quarter. Drop the quarter in. Give yourself some cushion. Give yourself some time. But she decided she would not give the man one more quarter. <laughs> she put the quarter back in her purse, and we went across the street to get coffee. And as we were getting coffee, we ended up talking. And she's leaving for Lebanon tomorrow, and she's going to be there for a few weeks, and so we're enjoying every moment, and, and we're having a meaningful conversation. Yes, after 35 years, we still love talking and and we talked and and I just looking in her beautiful blue eyes and we're having this wonderful time together I'm just soaking it and we were and we lost track of time right? and it probably we were probably there 22 minutes maybe 21 minutes and 20 seconds or something and so we went across the street and there was the guy you know what I'm talking about you know and he was there and putting the number of Kim's license plate into his, his little computer. And Kim goes, oh, no, you don't have to. You have to go right here, right here, right here. And he smiled. <laughs> he said, I've already put your number in. <laughs> and you could see the smoke coming up. <laughs> and if you're one of them, you need to be here right now. 
you find way too much pleasure in the pain of others. And, uh, and he was writing her up while she was asking him not to. And he gave her her ticket. And we got in the car. And I said, honey, how much was that ticket? She was like, I'm just so upset. I said, no, no, I just, how much was the ticket? Because you didn't put the quarter in, did you? She was going, well, and I said, you saved a quarter. How much did saving us a quarter cost us? $69. And I wonder how many times in our lives we save the moment and lose the future. How many times do we make decisions? We go, well, you know, I don't have to make this decision. I don't have to sacrifice here. I, I don't have to do this. I don't have to go just a little further. And it costs us more than we ever imagined. See, when Abraham left his home, he was not in a bad situation. A lot of times you think, oh, God's calling us out of something. Because most of the time, the only time we ask God to help us is when we don't like where we are. So we're only willing to follow God when we're done being where we are. Abraham wasn't done being where he was. Abraham had a really good life. There's nothing in the scriptures that tells us that Abraham was saying, God, get me out of this situation. I need a new life. I need a new future. I need a new destiny. God pulled him out of a life he wanted and called him to a life he could have never imagined. See, the reality is that so oftentimes we hoard things to ourselves because we only want our story taken care of, not someone else's. See, the story of Abraham is not about Abraham. It's about the generations after Abraham. What's so funny is that Kim is probably the most generous person I know. That's what's so ironic to me. Kim gives away everything. She gives away our furniture. She does. I mean, I'm, that's not a metaphor. She, she, gives, she gives away. I come home. All the living room furniture is gone. I, I, I come home. The bedroom furniture is gone. I come home. The refrigerator is gone. I, 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 there, there's probably nothing we've ever owned that Kim hasn't given away. I, I, I see people walking here with my clothes on. And, and because while I was out of town, she gave away my clothes. And she's so generous. It's unbelievable. And, and yet in that moment, she couldn't let go of the quarter. See, when God calls you to the life he created you for, in his perspective, it's like you're holding on to a quarter when he's trying to give you an inheritance. And Abraham was an heir. But, but here's part of the problem. See, when you step up, you know what happens? You, you, you end up totally out of step with everyone else. So if the future is going to be yours, you need to step up, but you need to realize you're going to have to stay out of step. Because Abraham made his home in the promised land, but he lived like a stranger in a foreign country. He was never quite at home. He was never really there. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. I could hear them complaining, are we ever going to have a home? Abraham's Abraham saying, this is our home. Can't you see it? Because they were looking for a property. They were looking for a land. But Abraham understood it was the future that was theirs. There were heirs with him with the same promise. And one of the unique things about a promise is that a promise is always in the future. See, once a promise has been fulfilled, it no longer pulls you into the future. It actually roots you in the present. And so even though we do not own this property, we may one day own this property. 
But this property is not the promise. This is too small. There is no plot of land worth giving up your future for. God didn't promise us soil. He promised us souls. He promised us humanity that we could make the world a better place. So if you want to live in the future, you're going to have to stay out of step with the present. You ever felt like you just were born out of time? Like you just don't fit in the world? See, if you're living a life for the future, you're never going to be quite in step with the present. But some of you are not in step with the present because you're still living in the past. You ever ever wish you could go back to a moment in your life that defined your life because you just made the wrong choice? I always think it's funny. Whenever someone in Hollywood is asked, is there anything in your past you would change? They go, nothing. I have no regrets. Like, oh, wow, I have, like, so many. (laughs) I I have enough for everyone in Hollywood. And if I could go back and change something, I would. Because I don't want to sustain my earlier level of stupidity. (laughs) I wish I could go back to moments with wisdom and insight and perspective that I have now. I I wish I could have lived those moments seeing them from the future. But here's the thing. You can. You can live this moment seeing it from the vantage point of the future. You can live this moment understanding that you're called to make choices that create the future, not only for yourself, but for others. Do you need any more evidence that humanity is not doing well than El Paso and Dayton? Do we need any more evidence that humanity's story is not going well? Here we are thousands of years later, In in, in a technologically advanced society, we are a species that can communicate through invisible wavelengths across the world. We can break the atmospheric pull of this planet and travel in space. We're this extraordinary species that can create almost anything we imagine, but we can't get past racism. We cannot get past bigotry. We cannot get past injustice. We cannot get past homelessness. We cannot get past poverty. We cannot get past hatred and violence. And then we always, we're always going to blame it on the things we create. But it's not the creation that's the problem. It's the creator. I have people that, well, what do you think about, like, like iPhones? Kids are always on their phones. It's destroying them. Social media, the internet, it's destroying everyone. Guns are, they're, they're, they're killing. See, the reality is the things we create are not the problem. It's the people that create them that's the problem. It's us. Because we can use anything for an instrument of good or instrument of evil. And, and, and maybe we need to um, find ways to keep destructive instruments out of the hands of people who are self-destructive. But we also need to figure out how to fix the problem of the human spirit. If you're going to live for the future, you cannot live in step with the present. And you cannot live your life trapped to the past. And then it says, and then Abraham, he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. I love that. See, the future is ours when we step up and when we keep out of step. But it's also ours when we step forward. 
See, you're supposed to live your life always leaning forward into the future. You ever run into people when you're walking? Like, I have this problem because when I'm in a group of people, I always, I always feel like social responsibility for everyone who's with me. So if I'm walking, I look back and try to see if everyone's with me. And what happens is that when I'm walking, I look back and try to be efficient, so I just keep walking. I, I mean, I know I should stop, turn, look, but I don't. And my kids spend their lives trying to stop me from hitting other people. In fact, they're really embarrassed by it. Dad, you just ran into another person. You just ran into another person. You just ran into another person. And, and, and I go, well, they, they could, it could have been that they ran into me. And they go, no, no, you ran into them. And, uh, and, and I, I've narrowed this down. I never run into people when I'm looking forward. It's strange. <laughs> I only run into people when I'm looking backwards. And, and, and some of you, you just keep crashing into your future. And you don't realize it's because you keep looking into your past. You will never have a different future until you start looking forward. And I love the description of God. It says he was looking forward to the city with foundations, talking about the city that God is building, whose architect and builder is God. I thought, wow. I mean, there are cities I still want to see. I want to see Barcelona because, like, it's so gaudy. It looks beautiful. The architecture is amazing. I've only seen photographs. I've never been. I want to see Dubai. I just, it's just buildings just look, they look amazing. There are places in the world that think, oh, I just want, I want to see those cities. You ever just see like, these incredible works of art? And, and I, might, I wonder what a city would look like if it was just designed by God. Like, well, what would a city look like if he was the singular architect? I, I don't think he would have made L.A., I, I mean, I, I think if God had been, like, at least on the architectural design team, he, he would have said, there's no river here. It, it, I, I know you're calling it the L.A. River, but it, there's just there's no river here. See, I think God would have been helpful. Like, why are you putting downtown here? Like, I built this massive ocean called the Pacific. And, uh, like, he said, hey, look at, like, San Francisco or Sydney or other, like, world-class, beautiful cities, they build really close to the water. I think God would have said that, you know, and I, I don't know. And uh, there's so many things, like L.A., like, I love L.A., but L.A. looks like it was designed by people who are all doing psychedelic drugs. It's like, <laughs> New York, Chicago, San Francisco, London, Paris, Tokyo, they all make sense. Then we have our city. <laughs> and then and when people go, oh, I'm going to go stay in downtown LA, I go, oh, okay. <laughs> or the people, I can't wait to come see Hollywood. <laughs> I feel so sad for people who come to Hollywood for their vacation. I'm like, like hey, just plan for like 30 minutes, okay? And uh, come on, let's be honest, all right? But imagine if God had been our architect. It would have been so different. And right now, God's not building cities. He's building humans. God is the architect and designer of the human spirit. And he wants to design your life if you'll let him build the foundation of your life. See, because a lot of us, we want God to build the building, but we don't want him to build the foundation. Because the building's spectacular, but the foundation is painful. 
And if you don't let God do the hard work of digging deep inside of you, don't expect God to do the extraordinary work of building high with you. Because then you'll just have fame and you'll collapse because your life will not hold together. And I thought, oh, this is a beautiful thing. No matter what God does in your life, you're never supposed to be a citizen or a resident of that moment. It's always the future. And I, that's why I, I don't want to be buried in like a tomb. I've thought about this for so long. Like, I don't know why. I mean, I, I know cemeteries have their place and people go there and remember their loved ones. But I don't want to be buried in a cemetery because then I'd be surrounded by all these dead people. And, and, and I just feel like I would feel so out of place because I'm never going to be dead. And, and, and I thought, oh, I always thought, I, I want to kind of be put in ashes. And then I want my, my, my kids to pick their favorite vacation spot. And so, like, just spread my ashes like in Tulum or something and go, oh, we got to go see Dad, you know? And uh, <laughs> so, so all the family needs to go see Dad, you know? And we're going to go to Cancun or wherever, you know? And, you know, and, and, and oh, you know, yeah, Dad's right there you know, in the sand and the ocean. And because I, I, I don't want to be buried in the present. I'm going to be buried in the future. Anybody get buried in the future? Has anyone ever done that before? And I thought, oh, there was. See, Abraham never got there, and Isaac and Jacob never got there. And in fact, if you look at it, Joseph never got there, and, and Moses never got there. Generations passed, and this promise still had not been fulfilled. But Joseph knew it, and I want you to see something. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, Joseph says this to his brothers. He says, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, God promises to Abraham, but Abraham didn't get there. Anybody want a life like that? Nah, you don't want that life. You want the got there life. He says, he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So where you are right now, that's not the future. He said, don't bury me here. Don't bury me in the past. Don't bury me in the present. Bury me in the future. Can you imagine having to have grandpa, like, right there? Because he refuses to be buried. So he just finally just becomes all bones. That's what I'm going to do with my kids. <laughs> Can't bury me in the present. you got to carry me into the future. And then in Exodus chapter 13, now it's Moses' turn. And Moses took the bones of Joseph. They kept the bones of Joseph all those generations. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on the way. And then by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud nor by day or the pillar of fire by night left the place in front of the people. And he's giving us this description of how God guided them out of captivity from Egypt and guided them through the wilderness, through the desert to the promised land. And the entire time, Joseph's bones were traveling into the promise. Joseph's bones traveled further into the future when he was dead than many of us will ever travel to the future while we're alive. Where do you want your bones buried? 
Do you want to be remembered for living in the past? You want to be remembered for being trapped in every single moment of your life? Or will your bones speak and point into the future that God promises? When we parked for free, we were living off the generosity of someone else. See, I'm not inviting you to make choices in your life that will make your life better. I hope it does. But there has to be a point in our lives where we stop trying to ask the question, how do I make my life better? How do I make my life bigger? How do I fulfill my dreams? How do I live my freedom? How do I get God to do what I want? And we have to get to the place in our life. We say, God, I want to be the beginning of a story that will be told for generations to come. I think of the words that God spoke to Ezekiel. Son of man, can these bones live? You look at me, you can't see them. But underneath this flesh and blood, there are bones that refuse to live or be buried in the past. My bones will travel into the future. They will not be trapped in the present. And I want to challenge you today to live a life so big, so extraordinary, that you pave the way for those who have not yet taken their first breath. Because the future is ours. And it's not ours to hoard. It's not ours to keep. It's ours to shape and create so that our children don't have to live in a world of violence or injustice or homelessness or poverty so that our children can look back and say they live by faith, not by how their story ended, but the fact that their story never ended. My life, I've already signed it. My life has a sequel. It just doesn't have my name on it. Because I am choosing to live my life for the stories that will be told and written in the lives of others for generations to come. How about you? What will you live your life for? When you hear God speak, will you step up? Will you choose to live out a step? Will you live your life stepping forward? Train your bones now to be buried in the future by living for the future now. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Just close your eyes. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross so that you would not have to live in the past, be trapped in the present. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross to guarantee that the future would be yours. I'm telling you, the future is ours. You see, the future belongs to God. And when you belong to God, the future belongs to you. But there's some of you here, you're still holding on to your life. You're still trying to live your life in your own strength, in your own power, in your own wisdom, in your own way. And today it's time 
to cross the line of faith and say, Jesus, I give you my life. I accept the sacrifice of your death on the cross. I recognize that you rose from the dead and you have the power to make these dead bones live. So if you're here and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a simple prayer. It's just one sentence. But I'm telling you, if you pray this prayer and you mean it, it will change your life. It will change everything. It will set you free from the past. And the future will be yours. Would you pray with me right now? This prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. That's the whole prayer. It's not everything you and God need to talk about. I'm telling you the conversation will never end with you and God. But it begins here. Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, just tell him. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If you hear him speaking to you, if you hear him calling you out right now, just step up and say, yes, Jesus. My life is yours. My life is yours. Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your prayer, I want to pray for you. If you just whispered that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I want you right now, with all the courage you have, just to hold up your hand really high and let me see you. Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful. Anyone else? Wow. Right now, just hold your hand up high. If you just pray, Jesus, I give you my life. Beautiful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. This is your moment. This is where you break free from the past and you step into your future. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Wonderful. Beautiful. So good. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for the women and men who in this moment have said goodbye to their past and have stepped into their future. I thank you that in this moment they've crossed the line of faith and have opened up their lives to you. And Jesus, the same power that you had to conquer death and to step out of the grave, you've placed inside of them right now. I pray, God, you would wrap them up in your love and let them know they belong to you, that you will never leave them or abandon them. And God, I pray that you, you would just speak so loudly in their soul letting them know the future is yours. This is your inheritance. You are now an heir of my future. They would receive that inheritance right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we thank God for all those who just responded to him right now? So good. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.